Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. James chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be in verses 7 through 11 today. And, um, you know, one of the worst feelings in life is to wait. Like, I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Like, I can't wait. I'm not patient with it. Like, I can't handle it. Like, I've never heard anybody once go, you know what I love most in life? Like, the thing I love the most waiting. Like, I love it. Like, nobody says that, right? Like, nobody loves to wait. We don't like to be patient. We don't like to wait. We don't like to be inconvenient. We don't like any of that kind of stuff. This week, I was thinking about some things that I hate to wait for, and uh, I, I hate watching commercials. I hate watching ads. Like, I would rather, like, video, like, record it, fast forward through all that stuff. Uh, I don't know if you have, if you ever watch YouTube, but sometimes it'll have, like, that five-second, you got to watch the five-second ad, but right on the right-hand side of the screen, it says, skip the ad in six seconds. It's like, what are you doing to me? Like, why are you toying with my emotions? Like, I want to skip it, but I can't. Like, I'm stuck watching this thing. Uh, even this last week, um, my middle son, Asher, he wanted to watch with the rock, uh, Jumanji. Uh, we don't own it, but it was on live TV and he just kind of got really fascinated with it. I just had, had it on as background noise, but he got really fascinated, really into it. And he kind of was watching it, but I could tell every time a commercial came on because he would make this sound, you know, (laughs) but it got more intense. The more it went on, I would hear him go, you know, and then he starts like, just saying like, why, why do we have to have these commercials? Like, why do they have to exist? And I was like, man, you don't even understand the trouble I had to deal with when I was your age. Like, that's all I had was commercials. But even like uh, going to the grocery store, I hate going to the grocery store and, and having to have to wait in those long checkout lines. Like maybe you should pray for me because I do probably too much judging at the grocery store. But when I get to the grocery store, like I'm looking at the checkout line and I'm going, okay, what cashier's just milking the clock and which one's trying to move people through, right? Like I'm counting the items. Is it 10 or less or is it 11 or 12? You know, because I want them out of there. Yeah, I'm looking at the people unloading. Do they have, are they, how old are they? Do they have too many kids? Like, what's going on? Like, how long is this going to take? Like, I don't like to wait. I hate waiting in traffic. Anybody else? Like, Wilma Rudolph. Why does everything have to be on Wilma Rudolph? I don't understand this town. <clears throat> Even like 24. Like, everybody's on it. I'd rather go the back way when nobody's on it because I don't want to sit in traffic. But like Wilma Rudolph, during the holiday season, I just want to get in and get out. Like, I'm not about waiting in all that traffic, waiting in all of those lines. But we all hate waiting. None of us like waiting, especially when we have to wait on the things, be patient on the Lord. Now, I understand some of you are here today and you're hearing me talk about all these trivial things that I hate waiting for, that we all don't like waiting for. And you're like, come on, Nate, like those things are trivial. They're nothing because today you're waiting on things. You're having to have to be patient for things that are much bigger and more important than grocery lines or commercials or ads on YouTube or on TV, right? You're waiting for things that are much bigger and you're waiting and you're waiting. You're like, God, why is this taking so long? God, are you even listening? Have you forgotten about me? Maybe you said this, God, do you even care about me? And maybe you're here today and you're just like, God, I feel like you have put me on hold. This week, James writes to people then, and he's writing us today to be patient. That in the midst of our pain and suffering, we are to be patient. In fact, the title of today's message is how to be patient in our pain. How to be patient 
in our pain. Now, a little context before we jump into our set of verses today. If you remember, James is writing this to Jewish Christians who are scattered all throughout the region. And they've been going through some persecution. But if you were here with us last week, we talked about the sin of materialism. And we talked about how in this, with the sin of materialism, one of the ways that um, was, one of the things that was happening at that time was there was some cheating going on with these day laborers, that you had these wealthy landowners and they were cheating these day laborers out of their salary. And so because of that, there were people going through some suffering and they found themselves in a painful situation. And now James is giving some encouragement to those who were suffering under that sin. And so let's read what James has to say. James chapter 5, verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, which is just another word for patience. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Again, James is writing this to first century Christians. And it's awesome that God would inspire James to write it to them. And that here we are in 2023 in Clarksville, Tennessee, and that we get to benefit from it today. That in the midst of our pain and our suffering, though it may not look exactly the same as those in the first century, the call is still the same. It's to be patient in the midst of our pain and suffering. And I wonder how many of us here today, we're dealing with pain and suffering, and it's hard to be patient right now. Maybe for you, it's just a financial pain, suffering that you're going through. Like right now, you're just looking for a job or needing a job, or you're just living paycheck to paycheck, and you're wondering, how are you going to make ends meet? And it's just hard right now. It's a painful situation for you. Maybe for you, it's just that your body hurts all the time. Like it didn't, it didn't always feel that way, but it's just hurting. And you're asking God, would you just heal me? Would you help me not hurt so much anymore? And you're having to have to be patient on the Lord, waiting on the Lord in his response. Maybe it's a severing of a friendship. You just wish that you could be friends again. And there's some sort of divide and you're praying and you're going, God, can you bring reconciliation back? Can you bring us together again? Maybe it's a marriage. You thought you were going to live happily ever after, but that's far been the case. Like that's not it. Or maybe you're just waiting to be parents. You want to have kids, but you can't. And you're, you're going, God, we want this. Like, why would you not put this into our lives? Why are we having to wait on you? Why are we having to be patient on you? And you're praying and you're praying and you're waiting and you're waiting. And you're like, God, where are you? Why are you making me wait? And maybe today you just feel like you're at the end of your rope. The reality is we all go through seasons of pain and suffering. And so how do we become more patient? How do we wait well in the midst of our pain? Well, James gives us two ways that we can be patient in our pain. And at the end of it, I want to give us some good news, some encouragement to leave out here with. So that's the outline, two points and some good news. So let's look at the first one that James says about being patient in our pain. He says that we need to wait in anticipation. We wait in anticipation. 
See, all throughout this text, you've probably picked up on it, but all throughout this text, we are commanded as believers in the midst of our pain and suffering, these Christians, as they're going through their persecution, as they're going through their hard suffering right now, James is commanding all of us to be patient. In fact, look at what he says in verse seven. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers. Verse eight, he says, you also be patient. Now, the word patient in verses 7 and 8 is the same Greek word, and it means to wait with a long temper or a long fuse. Now, we all know what it's like to have a short temper or a short fuse, right? Like some of you might have that short temper or that short fuse. You might have been on the receiving end of a short temper or a short fuse. I think so often when it comes to our pain and our suffering and what we're going through in the midst of our lives, that's how we wait. We wait with that short temper, with that short fuse. We're like, God, I'm praying and I'm praying. God, would you heal this? Would you do this? Would you do that? And then when it doesn't work in our timing, we just give up and we walk away. But the command here in these verses is to have a long fuse, that you can't set me off, that in the midst of my pain and suffering, we can be patient. Listen, we can make every effort to try to improve our condition, to bring reconciliation, to go out and try to find that job, to do all the things that we naturally can do. But the spirit that the believers must have is that even in the midst of our suffering, we have this long fuse. We can be patient. Now, what is it that we are being patient for? What are we waiting for in our pain and suffering? Well, look at what James says we're to be patient for in verse 7. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Jump down to verse eight. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, in the midst of our pain and suffering, we are called to be patient for the coming of the Lord. Now, when we hear that, not many of us got very excited about it. Like internally, we're not jumping up for joy. We're not shouting amen. We're not really clapping for that because if we're honest, this week when it came to our pain and suffering, we didn't pray for God to return. Maybe some of you did. This week, I was thinking about my own pain and suffering that I've had to walk through in life. And I was like, man, on one hand, I can count how many times I was like, God, would you come back? Would you return? More often than not, though, I'm praying, God, would you heal this? Would you do this? Would you do that? We don't pray for the coming of the Lord like we should. But in the midst of our pain and suffering, we should pray for the coming of the Lord. Now you might be thinking, well, okay, well, what are we talking about when we're talking about the coming of the Lord? Well, when James says the coming of the Lord, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. In fact, there's all kinds of Greek words that'll talk about the coming of the Lord, but the one that James uses is very specific. It's the word parousia. And it means Jesus' physical presence or literally Jesus being alongside us. And this is significant because as these people, they're going through their painful situation, as they're scattered all around, being persecuted, being taken advantage of, James's command to them was to have patience and wait for the physical arrival of Jesus. James knew what these Christians needed most in the midst of their pain was to look ahead at the coming of Jesus. Not look back, not look in the midst of their pain and just see pain from their perspective, but to look ahead to the coming of the Lord. See, in the midst of pain and suffering, we long more for our comforts to return than we do Christ. And let's just have a moment of honesty together because I think we would all say that this is true. We want to be comfortable again. We want things to go back to the way they used to. We want it to to be this way or that way. Like, why can't it just be comfortable again? But the greatest reality in your life, whether you know it or not, the biggest angst, the biggest thing you're longing for, the deepest longing of your heart is for Jesus to come back. 
Ecclesiastes even tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. That's what we long for. Deep down, every single thing goes back to that. We long to be with Jesus. God has put eternity in our hearts. And again, I get it. I've prayed so many times. God, would you do this? Would you bring healing? Would you do that? And it's okay. God, I need a job. God, I, I, need, uh, I need to have this friendship restored, uh, my marriage restored. Like, it's okay to pray those things. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God to say, God, can the pain stop? Can the season be over? We don't betray patience when we do that. But we give patience its greatest expression when we long for Jesus to come and to heal what is broken. Listen, when we're face to face with the creator of the heavens and the earth, in that moment, everything will be resolved. And there will be no more angst. There will be no more of this deep longing in our hearts. See, the early church lived with the expectation of this immediate coming of the Lord. The hope was that the oppressor and the oppressed at Jesus' coming is where all wrongs would be righted and believers would be rewarded for their faithfulness to Jesus. And the reality is we need to have that same mentality. We need to look ahead to the coming of the Lord. Not look back, even Ecclesiastes. It said, hey, don't long for the good old days because who's to say yesterday was any better than today? So we don't need to long for going back. We don't need to just look at our present circumstance and just see our pain. We need to look ahead to the coming of the Lord. Think about this. What if the primary purpose of your current season of pain and suffering was to develop a deeper longing for the return of Jesus? What if that's what God is doing in your life right now? To remind you to long for his return like never before. I'm reminded of Paul. Paul was a guy who went through a lot of stuff. You know, he was beaten up. He, uh, you know, went through different trials and tribulations and struggles in his own life. Like he, he had his own struggles. Like he even had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is, but he prayed for it to be removed. And Jesus was like, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul on his deathbed, he said this in 2 Timothy 4, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Let's not miss the work of the Lord to build within us a desire for the physical return of Jesus. See, sometimes I think that's the only thing that'll get us through the depths of pain that we experience. I think sometimes that's the only thing that's going to get us to tomorrow is the fact that Jesus has promised to return. So what we're being commanded to here is to lean into that, to wait in anticipation for the coming of the Lord. Here's the second thing James tells us. We need to wait with hope. We need to wait with hope. To reinforce his point that believers uh, need to wait patiently for the second coming of Jesus, James lays out three examples of how we should wait in the midst of this pain and suffering that we are going through. And so James gives us an example of a farmer, of a prophet, and of Job. And so look at what he says in the middle of verse 7. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. So the first example that James gives us about waiting patiently for the coming of the Lord is by talking about a farmer. And a farmer had an approach to waiting that expected God to provide. 
See, a farmer, he would sow the seed, he would plant the seed, he would harvest the ground, like he would, or till the ground, he would pull the weeds. Like the farmer would do everything he possibly could in his physical ability, but at some point he could only rely on God to do what God could do, and that was to send the rain. And so just like a farmer had to learn and trust in the reliability of God to wait year after year for the rain to come, either in the early part of the year or the late part of the year, we need to wait expecting God to provide for us in the midst of our pain and our suffering. These rains represent a process that all, par- all farmers had to patiently submit to because without it, there would be no harvest. And to fight against it, to insist there must be fruit in the middle of the process was pointless. See, sometimes we have to go through seasons of pain and suffering because in the end, God is going to accomplish something in you. God is trying to produce something in you. He's trying to produce the fruits of righteousness. Fruits of righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. He's doing something in you. And so we need to be patient in the process. Listen, the Lord is at work in your struggle. He's at work in your joy. He's at work in your losses. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love him. So the believers, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he's taking the good and the bad and he's working it all together. So don't give up. Don't lose hope. Be patient. Galatians 6, 9 even tells us to not grow weary while doing good because at the right time we will receive a harvest if we don't give up. Don't just look at your life from a perspective of pain. And it's so easy to do. We could easily look at it and go, well, look what I've lost. This isn't fair. I used to have this. What, I was going to do these things. Now I, I don't have anything. I'm not going to be able to do any of that. Don't look at life just from the perspective of pain, but see your pain through a perspective of purpose. Realize the difficult thing that you're going through right now is not without purpose. In fact, James started this whole letter with a similar thought. James chapter one, verse two, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And we think, well, why James? Why are you telling us to count it all joy? What's the point? Well, verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, the testing that you are going through right now is developing something in you that God wants for you. Whatever season of pain you find yourself in right now, God is allowing this for you, for your good, for your growth, and for his glory. So are you expecting God to do something supernatural in the midst of your pain, or have you grown weary? And I understand, you might be here today, and you might be like, I could use, really use some rain in my life right now. Like, God, would you send some rain in my life? When are you going to come through? And what James is telling us here is we need to be patient, just like the farmer, because God will provide and he will come through at the right time. Then he talks about the prophets in verse 10. It says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. What James is saying here is that we need, that we need to, as we wait, consider ourselves blessed. And by hearing that, some of you here today might be like, no, nah, bro, like there's no way I'm considering myself blessed, right? Like if you knew my situation, if you knew my circumstance, there's no way that you would call me blessed. But think about Daniel for just a second. 
He got thrown in the lion's den. And do you think he was just like, man, I'm so blessed right now to be in here with all these hungry lions? Jeremiah, the prophet, God tells Jeremiah, hey, here's your assignment. Here's what I want you to do. I need you to talk to the people. And here's the good news, Jeremiah. No one's going to listen to you. Do you think he was like, ah, oh, hashtag blessed right now. Like, I'm so glad that I get to do this. Like, this is my assignment that I've received. This is awesome. No, I don't think he did that at all. You think David, when he's running from his life because King Saul is trying to kill him, do you he's like, man, this is great. I get to work out every day. Like, I'm so blessed right now running for my life. Noah building the ark. He's building this ark. It hasn't rained. He's being mocked. He's being criticized. He's being made fun of. All these things. And as he's building this ark, do you think he's like, man, it's so blessed that I get to go through this and these people are calling me these things? But as we look at Daniel, Jeremiah, David, Noah, we say that they're blessed. We need to see ourselves in our pain and suffering as we one day will be seen. And you might be thinking, well, how do I do that? Best example I thought of was Mary. See, right after she finds out that she's going to bear the king of the universe, the savior of the world, Jesus, she has a song that she sings in Luke chapter one, verse 46, it says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful to the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me, holy is his name. This was a sticky situation for Mary. This isn't a great thing for her because women at this time, they had zero rights. Women now have rights. Women then did not have rights. And so when Joseph found out, oh, Mary, you have somebody else's baby, you're pregnant. Like not only could he call off the wedding, but he could just, he could hand her over and her family could disown her as well. Uh, She could be put to death for being found out that she was not um, faithful and, and, and willing to go through this marriage with Joseph. And so he, she could have died. Like her family could have disowned her, even if none of that happened, like healthcare was terrible. And so being a single mother with a baby, that wouldn't have been a great situation for her. And she would have had these names and this reputation because of her situation. This is a bad situation for Mary. There's no reason why she should call or even sing about herself being blessed, but she does. In the midst of her pain and suffering, what she's saying is that in my soul, in my life, though things are upside down, though things aren't going the way that I thought they would go, though things are not working out the way that I planned them, my health, my reputation, my marriage, my family, my future, all these things are up in the air and I don't know what could happen. Even though everything is upside down, I want God to be honored. I want God to be glorified. I want others to see how good God is and how good God's been to me. And this week I was thinking about the different times that I've had to walk through seasons of pain and suffering. And I thought at some point, God and his sovereignty thought I was trustworthy enough to carry what I was going through for his glory. And the same is true for you today. Whatever pain you're walking through, glorify God through it. Magnify him and sing of his goodness. Then then James talks about Job in verse 11. He says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. Now, Job is the guy whose world was rocked. Job went through some pain, pain and went through some suffering. And if you don't know how the story goes, basically, Satan looks at God and is like, hey, God, nobody loves you down there. And God's like, well, Job loves me. And he's like, he wouldn't love you if I messed with him. 
So God gives him the thumbs up and is like, okay, go ahead and mess with him. Job ends up losing his family. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. Like he loses his lifestyle. Like he loses all these things. His health gets so bad. He's got these like spots on him and he's picking his scabs with like broken pieces of pottery. Like his life, he's miserable. He hates it. He's going through the worst moment in his life. But Job never once in the midst of his circumstance forgot who God was. Job remembered his character, remembered God's compassion, and remembered his mercy. In fact, in Job 13, he says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. That's the kind of faith that we should have. That no matter what happens to him, we go, my hope is in him. But then look at what else Job says. He says, yet I will argue my ways to his face. Job isn't just like, man, I'm going to, I'm so glad I'm going through this. I'm going to go up on the hill. I'm going to sing Kumbaya until the Lord returns because I'm just so blessed right now. It's so great that this is happening. He's not excessively happy that he's lost his family, that he's lost his money, that he's lost everything in his life. He's like, I am going to talk to God about this. I'm going to tell him how I feel. I'm just going to lay it all out there. And if you read Job, that's Job for 40 chapters. Just this constant back and forth between him and God, just laying it out there and telling him how he feels. Here's the thing. We can bring our griefs before God. We can bring our questions. We can bring our tears. We can bring our anger, our frustrations. None of that surprises him. But at the end of the day, just like Job, we have to choose whether or not we're going to trust the God of the universe or not. We might not understand what he's doing. We might not understand his timing. But are you willing to patiently wait for him and believe the way Job did? Are you able to look at your circumstance and the pain and the suffering that you are going through today and say, yet I will hope in him? See, I think sometimes people think that when you become a believer, it's just going to be easy street. It's all rainbows and sunshines, green grass, unicorns. Like, it's going to be great, you know? I mean, it's just going to be an ease of life. There's no more tears and things like that. But it's not the case. The Bible never promises an ease of life, never promises that there's not going to be tears. In fact, we're probably going to suffer more. But here's what God promises us, that he will hold us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, and that he'll sustain us. I don't just know those things either. I've walked through those things. I felt the Lord. The, The brokenness and the sinfulness of this world has come into my life. And I have felt the God of the universe hold me and sustain me and comfort me in ways that I cannot describe. I've seen people who have, who have gone through situations and circumstances much worse than mine. And in beautiful ways, the Lord has sustained them and held them together. But then James closes verse 11. And he says, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The, remem- the call for us here is to remember who our God is. In fact, that word compassion is only seen here, and that word merciful only appears one other time, and it's in Luke. We need to remember who our Lord is. God's goodness is not greater when our circumstances is better. God's goodness is not smaller when we are suffering. God is good all the time. He always has compassion for us in our suffering. He's always merciful to us. But sometimes God's mercies can feel severe. 
but also a surgeon's scalpel feels severe, which brings ultimate healing. God's mercy and compassion can feel painful, and it can feel hard, and it can feel confusing. But he knows what he's doing. And we can patiently endure by continually to trust our faithful God. And so we need to remember his character, and we wait with hope. In fact, I love how Job closes it out in Job 19, verse 25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. So we need to be patient for the return of the Lord. But as we patiently wait on the Lord, we need to take on one of these attributes. And maybe you're here today and you need to be more like the farmer. You've just done everything that you possibly can do in your own ability, but at some point you have to wait for God to provide, to send the rain. Or maybe today you need to be more like the prophet, that in the darkness that you are walking through, you need to call yourself and remind yourself that you are blessed. Or maybe it's to be more like Job. We need to remember that God is love that he is compassionate. And yeah, I can argue to him. I can bring my problems, my tears, my complaints. He's big enough to handle all of it. But ultimately, I need to remember the character of God, who he is. Because listen, things in our life are always ever-changing, but our God never changes. And so I want to close with some good news. Because here's the reality. As believers, uh, on a linear time, right, we're moving away from something and moving toward something else. And we're, moving, we're all moving towards a day when our Savior, our King, our Father comes home, comes here to take us home. In fact, I was thinking about that this week and I was reminded years ago, our family was much smaller, it was just three of us. It was me, my wife Jen, and our oldest son, who was three at the time, Brody. And uh, we, were, we were at some friend's house and we were hanging out in the dining room talking and, and hanging out and... Um, you know, we, the kids were getting kind of annoying, so we just sent them all upstairs to go play, right? And, uh, and so they go upstairs, and they're playing, and they're having a good time, and we're, we're still downstairs hanging out. And every once in a while, because their dining room was right underneath their bonus room. And so every once in a while, we would hear inevitably a loud, you know, thud. And if you're a parent, you know what it's like, right? You hear that thud, and you kind of go, you kind of hold your breath. You're looking at all the other parents because you're like, there's either going to be tears or there's going to be laughter. What are we going to get? And, and inevitably, it was always laughter, and so we were like, okay, this is okay, and so we'd be fine, and, and yeah, we would keep hearing these loud thuds and stuff like that, but, you know, they were always laughing, they were having a good time, until this one time, it sounded like the roof came in in that bonus room, like it was the worst sounding thing, and so, of course, every parent, and immediately, Brody started crying, and I knew it was Brody, you know what it's like as a parent, you know your child's cry, and so I'm running up the stairs as fast as I can, and when I get up there, I see all these kids just standing on the perimeter of the room, and their faces are just shocked because they saw the ceiling fan drop from the floor, or from the roof to the floor, and they were just all in shock, like, we don't even know what happened, like, they weren't even playing with the ceiling fan, they weren't doing any of that kind of stuff, it just fell, And one of the kids was like, yeah, Brody was just under it. And one of the blades just missed his head. And so, of course, I I see all the kids stunned. Brody's crying. I pick him up in the corner. 
And I start bringing him downstairs. And because Jen's a nurse, she does all the nurse things. Like she's checking, so you have a concussion. Let me check his eyes, you know, with the lie and all this other, you know, she's doing the whole 10 yards to it. But I brought him home and I brought him safely back to where he needed to be. And I don't know, maybe it's because I've grown up a Christian. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor. But when I heard Brody crying in my head, I was like, as I'm running, I'm going, I'm coming, Brody. I'm coming for you. I'm running up those steps. I'm saying, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Hold on tight. Don't give up. I'm almost there. I'm getting closer. Here's the point. In our tears, in our sadness, in our pain, in our suffering, in what we're going through, God is saying, hold on. I'm closer. Don't give up. I'm coming soon. In fact, Revelation 21 says it this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any sea. I saw, a whole, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is coming. And we are closer to this day than when we walked in here this morning. This is happening. He will make all things new. There will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more sadness, no more death. Every bit of difficulty, suffering, weariness, depression, anxiety will all be over on that day. In fact, when we took communion just a little while ago, yeah, it's to remember what Jesus did for us and to be thankful for that and remember the price of our sins, but it's also to help us to look forward to the day that we see Jesus face to face and we have that meal with him. We're reminded of what he did and what God is there, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, and we see him face to face. Jesus coming back is not a hope that we have. It is a reality. We are closer than we ever have been before. Think of, I mean, think about how time works. We're in the summertime. I don't know about you, but I feel like Easter was just two weeks ago. Like, it feels like last month we were just opening up presents for Christmas, I told my kids, I was like, hey, guess what, guys? There's about a month left of summer vacation. Like, they're starting August 7th. And I'm like, it feels like two days ago we started summer. Like, there's no way you can almost be over with, with summer vacation and starting this new school year and all that stuff. But this is how time works. It always shows up faster than we think it's going to. Listen, we will be at this day before we know it. Here's what I know with a message like this. There's two people that are listening to this. In one camp, you're here and you're like, okay, I got it. I took some notes. I'm filing this away. This is good. Because the reality in life, there's going to be storms that we're going to face. There's going to be trials. There's going to be things we're going to go through in life. You're either in one, coming out of one, or you're about to go into one. And so for many of us here today, we're like, okay, I'm going to file this away. This is good. I'll take some notes. I'll be good for when I hit that trial that pain, that suffering in my life. But I know there's others here today. You're coming off the week that you've come in and you've dragged yourself here today. Here's what I want to remind you. God in his mercy has stepped into your space 
And he's telling you, hang in there. Don't give up. I'm at work. You haven't been betrayed. I'm accomplishing something in you. I believe that he would remind us today that, he, that whatever we're going through, there will be worship that will come out of this in our lives in time. I believe he wants to remind us not to give up. That one day he will scoop us up in his arms and he will take us home. I believe today, ultimately, God wants to remind us that his promises are true. So we need to hold on tight, be patient, and remember that Jesus is coming back. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.